0: Hello, friends. Chris and I decided this week to forego our typical conversation and share with you three interviews that we did with uh, three people across the nation where we're talking about the changes in uh, student population and how we can serve them better and potentially how we can attract a more diverse student population. Our first conversation is going to be with Dr. Jack Daniels the president of Madison Area Technical College. As you might imagine in the upper Midwest we have a decrease in our population and that is reflected in the enrollment of Madison College that went down about 32% in the 10 year uh, period of time between 2012 and 2022. So what are they doing because they built a brand new campus uh, a few years ago right in the center of uh, the most impoverished part of Madison, how are they serving the mix of population they have in rural and urban parts of South Central Wisconsin? The
1: first thing is to understand is, it's just not about me. It's the whole team here. And the team recognizing what the need is. Um, Because at the end of the day, they're the ones who got to do it. But there's a process. And that process for Madison was understanding what is the need of the community? See, oftentimes, we, we've we been in a situation where we build something and we think they're going to show up. But when you talk about building, it's not built around what the needs are, it's, built, it's being built around what the college think what the need is. And that happens across the country. And so we did extensive work in the community, not just from a qualitative standpoint, but from a quantitative standpoint, because you've got to be able to align the two. And then looking at how can we best serve whatever that need is. In Madison, we also had the the additional issue of our downtown campus. Yes which was the traditional first campus of Madison College. And though they were on separate waves, lots of folks connected them. You know, you close south and you close downtown so that you can do something south. If downtown was still vibrant, had students going there, we would still have done south because the population of South wasn't going downtown. Yes. Downtown had a specific population where they're coming from. And so coupling that with what we wanted to do with South, uh, and it goes back to the need. The other thing I found very interesting, and I've been here 10 years. so I did a whole tour my first six, seven months of our whole district. And when I'm in the South, I'm asking questions like, why don't you go to Truax? If you're living someplace along that belt line, you can get to Truax, yes. Why wouldn't you go there? Because that's where the majority of programs are, and so forth. And what did they say? I felt overwhelmed. They're insensitive. I would not. I did not feel comfortable going there. And then when I think about transportation, at one point in time, we had a facility at Mineral Point and Gammon at the corner from mm-hmm. West Mall. To get to Truex, it was two hours. To go from the south area where we are currently, it can be up to an hour and a half. So transportation is one of my issues. I'm not going. I'm not coming to True acts. So what what happens then? You've got a whole population that's not being served, and we also talk about employers, and we've heard this for years. We need more employees. You got a whole neighborhood, not neighborhood. But you got a whole area that the unemployment rate is somewhere in the 40 percentile. If they were getting training, coming to get training, that's a population from which you can serve. That's an economic development. So it's looking at those as we move forward. And the other, I think, and we look at the team, we knew that we need to serve the community, yet we need to have a facility. And historically, the only way to do a facility is to do a referendum. Right. Did a referendum in 2009, the largest referendum of two-year institutions in the state. It's still what is, one it is, 132 million. But we weren't going about to do another referendum. So we had to have the private sector understand what the need was. So we worked with them so that that's a privately funded building. And we don't have debt. So, again, trying to get the community to understand what the needs were. So what we talk about today and folks talk about, you know, DE&I today, and they talk about inclusion today. We've been on this pathway for a long time. And, you know, these are my experiences in my 40-plus years in higher And how do we serve those communities? Because what does a community college do? A community college serves the needs of the community.
0: And that's what we're about. So, Jack, uh, you know, your district is somewhat unique unique compared to others you may have worked in, like in the Bay Area or or the Los Angeles or or Houston areas, where it's mainly urban and suburban. Here you've got some rural counties uh, with their own uh, set of challenges. Of course, like you said, commute would be even harsher. We have winters here in the upper Midwest. So how do you juggle all of those realities? You've got a very large district. I'm going to say you're probably representing about three-quarter million people, if not more, across the various counties. So how do you juggle those and how do you ensure that you're reaching uh, every community and providing those um, opportunities for everyone so everybody feels included?
1: So as you know, we serve all the parts of 12 counties. And we have four regional centers. And those four regional centers are unique in itself. They're unique from us in Dane County. They're unique where they are. You also have differing political views in each one of those counties. And all of them, the 11 other counties are on the opposite side of Madison and Dane County in terms of their thinking. So the question becomes, what is their need? And then how can we address their need? When they did the referendum in 2008 and 2009, we had to sit people out in those regions to learn what that need was. But the interesting thing. You couldn't send folks from Dane County to understand what their need was, and part of that was the the gulf or the gap between Dane County, big Dane County, presumably, presumably, and I don't believe this, the liberal area versus the conservative white majority area that's in the regions. They didn't want to listen to Dane County. So you have to take folks who understand those areas. And so what happened then is a lot of folks from the areas that had connections to the college went out there. And I've made it a habit of going into the regions every year because it's important for me to understand what the needs are. But the value of having people at our regional campuses, they're from the regions. And so they can actually speak to what those needs are. What we're doing now, and I'll just give you one example, we know that there's a uh, child care desert in the regions. It's a huge barrier for folks to come. How can we address those that issue, knowing that we don't have child care centers in our regional areas? Where's the partnering? Where do we get the base information? Where's the initial discussions happening, research? And that's how we use the Workforce Innovation Grant, is to understand more and more about that need there in the community, and let's talk to those. Hence why there's a strong partnership in Watertown between those, those facilities that, that those uh, providers of child care and us and trying to work together. But we also know that there is a declining population, the K-12 population in the regions. So how does that impact how we serve the need of the community? And we have an aging population in the regions. How does that impact how we serve the community? And it's understanding, again, going back to the need and then working around the need. And then working within the parameters in which we have that we we can work into. We're moving to what is called, we're doing centers for excellence in the regions so that we can concentrate on particular items and then we can get people to those areas. When you think about the regions. You got Fort, Fort Atkinson, and you've got uh, Watertown, and between them is 18 miles, maybe at the most. But they've got a bypass now that you can go from one end to the other in 30 minutes or less. We know that Portage and Reedsburg have some distance in between. However, is what is Portage, Portage's needs are different than Reedsburg's? So how can we actually work in those areas? We knew we had training. We already had nursing at Reesburg. So we're going to expand that area and talk about healthcare. So that's going to be a center, very similar to what's going to be happening in Worcester. So what is that center going to be in the Portage area? We have uh, invested lots of dollars in advanced manufacturing welding at Fort Atkinson. So that's going to be a center. In that whole area so it's looking at what's around there what the industries are around what the communities need and see if we can actually do some of those things that we did the
0: south in terms of the understanding that we need. so building and staffing and uh equipping is integral and is in perhaps an obstacle in front of many colleges but then how how do you provide opportunities and how do you incentivize those working adults that are impoverished in South Madison or in Watertown or wherever uh, in in your service area because uh, you know if we're offering classes when they're working they can't be with us they may not like online or may not have services so how would you and I'm asking not because I have the answer. I'm asking because you've actually, in effect, done it—not just once, but so many times. How how do you make it possible for those people to access higher education when, like you said, they feel alienated, or they can't do it, or they're afraid, or, or, you
1: know, when we when we established and created the programming at South, this was pre-COVID. As we we opened South in the fall of 2019. Yeah. The idea was, A, this was a seven-day-a-week campus. We were doing programming on a Saturday, and we would do some set Sunday programming. And the community could use the facility as well. We haven't moved away from that in terms of what we want, vision-wise. And we've got to get back to understanding what the vision was. And we're starting to have some things out there on Saturday. But that the campus then is serving throughout that area and giving people opportunity to come and have the classes at a time that's convenient to them. But even if we talk about remote, it's also providing understanding of what is remote learning. How do you be successful in remote learning? And do we have the services necessary remotely to assist? And can they get access to? And yes, do a lot of work in that area as well. So folks know where they can go, especially if they're in remote. But we have to do the same thing for folks who are coming to our campus from an in-person standpoint. Because many students don't know where to go for help, right? They don't know where to what services are available to them. But we've got to be in a position to be able to provide the services if we're going to move people to those. Hence, why it's south, and in fact, is at acts now. We have a legal clinic. Folks need those types of assistance, especially for those folks who are immigrants who have difficulty understanding how to get the appropriate papers uh, so that they can get visas, citizenship, whatever it might be. We've got legal services there. We also rotate social services through our community, uh, our campuses, so they're there to to serve that. But one of the biggest issues, remains the biggest issue, a barrier so you got to identify the barriers to education. It's child care. Mm-hmm. And as we think through that, we're in a child care desert. You may find some child care between 6.30 in the morning and 6 o'clock in the evening. And you're going to need that in order to provide that Level of child care so students can go to class. But capacity is the issue. Mm-hmm. At Madison College, we have one child care center for seven campuses. The capacity is 50. Oh, And we have a waiting list constantly of anything in excess of a hundred. So when you think about child care, it's about capacity. Equally important for a parent, and if I'm working, maybe I have to work second shift. Right. There's not that many child care centers, done that open at 6 o'clock. So we have uh, developed a model in which we could actually do that servicing from 6.30 in the morning to 10.30 at night. And also focus on saturday because you got to get parents the opportunity to do some things that they need to do right and so we are now in that process of trying to push that and can we get private support as we did with south to do that type of capacity building because that would call for us to do a new building and we would do that building in the south because we will actually do that similar planning for the north because we already have an early learning center in the north. So it's it's balancing those and understand where do we put our efforts? And we've got a lot of good people working on this and they're developing the partnerships there. So, you know, you said it earlier about incentivizing. The incentivizing comes into what what support do you give? And is the support going to be there when those students come? And uh,
0: just one final question. Do you, do you think, and perhaps this is more of a philosophical and national question, I wanted to hear your perspective. Do you think that, uh, is there anything that we can do in our classrooms to enhance equity, to enhance accessibility of, uh, uh, to students, and to enhance... We talk about retention, we talk about completion, we talk about success, but yet those numbers are never to our dreams. They're always lagging behind where we think they should be.
1: Uh, we're an Achievement of Dreams, too. That uh-huh. project is focusing in on Where's the greatest gap? The greatest gap is with African-American and Latino males. Because we know that they're not succeeding. So what are we doing in the classroom that is going to help them to move forward? Well, part of understanding what we could do in the classroom is understanding something about ourselves as instructors. what what tools do we have? Do we understand what the issues are? Or, you know, what's the gap as we're looking at it? Because there has to be some facilitation of some type of coaching that allows faculty not just to deliver their instruction, but at the same time being understandable what are the experiences that students bring with them into the classroom and then how do we engage them? It has nothing to do with lowering standards. It has nothing to do with who can do X and who can do Y. It's about the engagement of the faculty with that student. And then what are we surrounding that student with in terms of the services that augment what we do in the classroom? And they have to be in alignment. And that's something that we are working on. But when you look at, similar institutions across the country, that's some of the things that they're doing. Faculty who teach in the community college and I and I've taught, um they're just not an instructor. They are confidant. Yeah. They are a guider. They are a coach. They are uh, they're to support when they're downward with that student. Um, and a lot of that comes in terms of where is that communication? Where is that engagement? Does that student feel comfortable coming into that class? You know, uh, and I think a lot of this has to be understanding how to address that population, those populations. And do it effectively. Understand something about community college teaching. There is no program that I am well aware that I'm aware of that teaches how to teach in community college. You don't get a degree in teaching in community college. You may get a degree teaching K-12, and what and part of that curriculum in K-12 is a methods course. And then you do your student teaching. There is no student teaching in the community colleges. You don't have a methods course in the, in the community college. So how do we provide that to our faculty and have some real-time discussions? And then using faculty who have found ways to, to be effective in this is to help other families. And that's a key point. And the last is, what is the evidence that you have? Tell me about the data. Understanding the data. And then understanding what are some of the policies that we have or practices that appear to be offensive and racist, as opposed to how do we broaden how we work with folks. And I'm talking specifically about students and understanding who they are, their experiences, and as being as as best coach as you possibly
0: can to that student. so if if I'm hearing you right, so we're looking at the trio or like in California, the the EOPS model of service to the students when they needed the emotional, the the uh, the social, the everything else, in addition to a faculty who's going to be a mentor to that individual. Am I seeing the picture that uh, – am I seeing it right? Is that what you're talking about?
1: What I would love to see is you take TRIO or you can take EOPS, and it's just not their specific program. Remember, TRIO is for, for first-generation students. Right. And it may be just a small number that you're addressing. I think we have 300. We've been doing TRIO for 20 years. What is working in TRIO that we can put throughout the whole institution? And I think we have to think through that, because it's just not those first-generation students. Understand, our students, our average age is 27. But we also see about 40% of the students are somewhere between 18 and 24. Those are different needs for that 18 and 24 than it is for that 27 and above. Right. What are the experiences that they have? Some of them are coming back after 10 years that they haven't been in that formal education process. You take the 27 year old, they may have two kids and paying rent is taking 80% of their money. It's understand what those differences are. But being supportive, and part of being supportive is being able to guide them to the appropriate service that they need, internally or externally. You know, we don't do housing, but there's an agency that does housing. Mm-hmm. Do we know that? Do we have a, a connection with them? Can we, ship people ship refer people in that way but we also know we've got advisors and counselors and we know that they have some issues and it's how they they are working and struggling through that why can't our counselors be doing some of that work it's it's under we have to understand as professionals in the institution where folks need to go students need to know There are these
0: openings, these possibilities for which they get the service.